welcome to episode 29 of About IBD. I'm Amber Tresca. On this episode, we're going to focus a little bit on social media and how IBD is often portrayed within the community. Something that does tend to happen is that we're active on social media and we're blogging, we're doing all of the things when we're not doing well. Sometimes when we feel better, we navigate away from social media a little bit and go on about our lives, which is only natural. If IBD isn't affecting you profoundly, maybe you don't want to be there talking about it and be in groups and be constantly reminded of your diagnosis. However, my two guests, Jamie Weinstein and Meredith Snowlin, will tell you a little bit about why we need to have more positive stories in social media about IBD. We want positive stories to be available to people in the community who are looking for them. But I think we also want positive stories out there for the general public who doesn't have a good sense of what IBD is like. I did a pretty poor job of introducing my two guests on this episode, but you'll know who they are when they start talking. Meredith is gonna take you through her diagnosis story, which is one of the most gripping and concerning that I've ever heard. I'm going to turn it over to Jamie and Meredith. Hi, my name is Jamie. (laughs) Meredith, you're new. Introduce yourself. I haven't heard your... (laughs) Meredith, I haven't heard your disease story. My story sucks. So (laughs) I've always had a sensitive stomach. Um, Just kind of chalks up to nerves. And... I want to say six months after I had my son, I was outside doing some lawn work and I noticed that my eyelid was kind of swollen and I thought, well, I got grass in it or whatever. No big deal. It didn't go away for a couple of days. So I go to the doctor looking like Forrest Whitaker with like the one eye. We later found out it's inflammation from the start of Crohn's disease because I was in the emergency room like three days later with a partial obstruction. They didn't take it too seriously. They're like, oh, it could be from stomach bug or it could be from this or that. Um, I want to say I was, I think this is kind of where weight can, can mess up diagnosis for people. I was a pretty healthy weight, heavier than I am now. So that was always the first words out of the doctor's mouth is, well, you haven't had any extreme weight loss. Um, you don't experience a lot of blood. Um, but all these imaging tests, you know, your, uh, barium swallow, your CTs, your MREs, everything is showing stricturing, but they were never able to completely get to the area where the disease was. Um, it would have required a, no one just had one. Push endoscopy. Yes. And none of the doctors were taking it seriously, so it wasn't even an option. Um, so I kind of just suffered for about a year or two. Um, and then I got another partial bowel obstruction. So I tried to find another doctor that would listen to me and take my concerns seriously. Um, I want to say it was probably around the time that my youngest was being diagnosed with autism. So they said, oh, it's stress. Um, you're not really sick. You're just really stressed out, and your body is dealing with that stress like this. I knew something wasn't right because you don't just have pain every day. Like, that's not normal. Um, I must have seen, actually, I lost count, probably five or six doctors. And it was always, well, we think you have Crohn's, but I'm not sure. Maybe. So it it went back and forth probably for about four years because 2010 was when I had Landon. And then 2014 is when I finally found my IBD specialist. Um, I just went to a surfing event for autistic kids where I spent all day outside. Um, 
in the sun with my kids because I didn't want to miss anything. Um, so I just pushed myself and pushed myself and pushed myself. And my husband's mother happens to be a nurse. And she took one look at me and she's like, you have to go to the hospital um, tonight. I'll pick you up when, once you get the kids in bed. Okay, fine. You know, I'll go. And go to the hospital, same old thing. CT scan. And they're like, um, most of your small intestine and part of your large intestine is inflamed and dilated. Um, I said, okay, great. She started me on steroids, antibiotics, another referral back to um, a gastroenterologist who basically dismissed me because I was a healthy weight. I think most of it came down to my weight because I didn't lose a lot of weight when I got sick and I had previously um, struggled with my weight most of my life. And up until about a year before I got sick, I was pushing like pretty obese, like over 250 pounds. So the 100 pound weight loss that kind of just fell off for the first time in my life. Now, when I think about it, it clicks that that was my body getting sick because I didn't really change that much. I exercised a little bit more, but not enough to really make that huge of a difference. Um, so I go after this event with this horrible inflammation, um, find a GI who's supposed to be great. Everyone says how wonderful he is. His PA comes in, takes a very thorough history and says, have they ever just tried treating you for Crohn's disease. She's like, there are types of Crohn's disease where it's mostly small bowel, places we can't get to. Um, there's consistency in your scans. It's always the same area. And then sometimes it'll pop up in different places. And she said, that that is what Crohn's does. It skips and just goes on and on. So then the doctor comes in and he is, I want to say was rated like one of the top 10 for the Bay Area. He's at um, Pasadena and does a knock procedure, I think it's called. It's like a, it's an alternative to a J pouch where they can actually like, read yeah. like you stick a drain in. This, hosp yes. this hospital is known. The BCIR. The yeah. right. This hospital is known for that. Continent. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. I was like, oh, I'll go there. They have a great mm -hmm. reputation. PA was wonderful. He comes in the room. It takes one look at everything and goes, I want you to try this diet. And he throws um, a copy of the FOMAP diet. I think mm -hmm. that's what it's called. And if this doesn't help you, I don't know what will. You'll just have to go to Shans because I just don't know what to do with you at this point. He spent less than three, I would say between three and five minutes in the room. Dismissed me. Yeah. Your conversation with the PA kind of answered the first question I was going to ask you about if they thought it was Crohn's, mm -hmm. why didn't they just start treating you right away? Um, just to see what happens. What's the harm? And that was my thing too. And he wouldn't even answer my question. And I had that exact same thing happen before. And this is, this is where the story gets really messed up. So I see him, I get really frustrated. Uh, things improve. I'm good for about another six or seven months. Um, then the same thing. I wake up, can't stand up straight, go to the hospital, another partial obstruction, find a GI that's highly recommended. I go and see her and she goes, yeah, it looks like Crohn's disease. Um, I'm going to start treating you for Crohn's disease. And I had another partial bowel obstruction maybe three or four months later. She was the new kid on the block at her practice. So the the original GI who started the practice came in um, and says, I want to scope you. So, of course, I said, where they're measuring on the MRI, can you reach it with a regular scope? Oh, yeah, yeah, I can totally reach it. So, of course, I let him scope me. And he says, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, so then, of course, she, who is the new kid on the block, and that's her boss, 
goes, you just have very severe IBS and stops the treatment for Crohn's. So of course, at this point, I start challenging her because I'm sick and tired of being sick. And I said, you know, why, why have you changed your mind? Everything before you said, this is Crohn's disease, let's treat it. You know, are you really that intimidated by a partner in your own practice? Then she actually turned the tables on me saying, um, I just wanted to be sick and mm-hmm. that it was all in my head um, and that I should just change my diet and try to have a more positive outlook. Um, if she really thought that this was psychosomatic, why did she not refer you to a mental health specialist at that point? I really think that she was just trying to cover her own ass. Mm-hmm. And then when I called her out, um, she went immediately into defense mode. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the IBD serology test done, um, which later I found out is not worth a crap, really. Um, I had all the markers for both UC and Crohn's, but I didn't have some of the antibodies, I believe, that they're looking for when they do the test. So she's like, well, you, I said, I asked her to explain things to me. I said, well, what does this one mean? And what does that one mean? Why am I having um, positive for all these markers? But then the test is saying, no, explain it to me. I just paid $500 for this test, paid, you know, a fee for your office to, to draw the labs, explain it to me. Um, she acted so appalled that I even challenged her. And that was when she said, you know, you just want to be sick. It's all in your head. Um, so I didn't seek help again <laughs> for probably another six or seven months. And things just continued to deteriorate. Um, and then I was just so sick of being sick and being in pain all the time that I ended up being in the bathroom one night, sick as anything, just trying to wrap my head around, like, am I crazy? Is this in my head? Like, maybe if I did have a more positive attitude, I would feel better, um, less pain or whatever. Um, And then I just realized that going to the bathroom 15 times a day is not normal. Having consistent pain is not normal. Um, Having eye issues is not normal. Skin issues, it's not normal. Um, So I live in Florida, and the University of Florida is not far from where I live. I went on the website, (laughs) And I looked at each doctor's bio, and then I picked my doctor. I would never say this to her face. I picked my doctor because in her photograph, she looked a disheveled mess. <laughs> she didn't care what she looked like. Yeah. She only took the picture because they wanted her to do it. I read through what she um, specialized in. I read some of the papers that she did. And I basically, from the bathroom of my my home, I begged her for help. I sent an email to her um her academic email, please help me. Um, I have two autistic children. I'm sick and nobody will help me. Um, the next day I get an email back from her uh, stating that a nurse was going to contact me and I was in to see her within a month. Um, she looked at everything, all the scans, all my lab tests, ordered some more. And she's like, you have Crohn's disease. She's like, it's so blatantly obvious. Your fingers are clubbed. Um, your labs are all over the place. Your imaging is always consistent. This is Crohn's disease. And we just can't get to that area. By the time I saw her, I had a stricture, uh, a pretty pretty good one. And she said, well, let's try Humare and we'll do some staggering on the dosing to really see if it's uh, scar tissue or if it's just for inflammation. Um, so we did that for about six or seven months and the stricture, we didn't think it was improving. Um, so we went ahead and scheduled to have a resection and 
I ended up getting, um, the surgeon opened me up and said, it looks pretty good. There's a lot of inflammation, but not enough to, to take it out. Let's give it some more time. And he was like, you know, you are living proof that Humira and other biologic medications can be very, very effective. He's like, I looked at your scans. I read them personally. I knew what I was doing when I got in there. He's like, in that area, it was where the test showed, but he thought, let's just give it more time. And it, it did work on that. Structure did finally clear. But after that, I burned through Humira. And I think I just, it did all it could do. And then we switched to Intivio. I think the hardest thing for me has been knowing where my disease location is, that I always feel like I have to defend my diagnosis because nobody's been able to get a um, positive biopsies. And then when they did get biopsies, when it appeared in my stomach, they came back as inconclusive. So of course I was really upset. I'm thinking, oh, doctor's going to stop treating me. I'm never going to get any better. And that was not what happened at all. She continued to treat me and I did get better for a while, but it was just a very long process. I want to say from start to finish, probably a good five years. Um, and it just took one doctor to actually make that difference for me. So my, my diagnosis story is very, um, I think it's kind of common too. I hear a lot of different people, especially when most of the activity is in this small bowel, um, that it can only be found with your pill cams and your mm-hmm. imaging and, and you may not ever get the, the different biopsies that you want. So I think for me, it, my diagnosis process has left me extremely insecure as far as um, if my doctor moves or leaves, you know, and I have to see somebody else, am I going to start back at square one? Because even though things aren't perfect today, they're better than they were five years ago. So it's still just trying to find that that balance and not be um, insecure about my disease and not to be afraid to advocate for myself. How many times were you actually diagnosed with Crohn's? It seemed like they would diagnose you with Crohn's and then they would back off from it. Absolutely. I would say at least out of the maybe six to 10 doctors I saw, 75% of them would say it's Crohn's disease. And then they would go to do the scopes and they go, it's not Crohn's disease because we can't visualize it. So it was almost like um, they would lose faith in their own, like what they were seeing. So, and for me, I couldn't understand, well, if you think it's Crohn's and it looks like Crohn's, why, you know, what's the harm in, in trying to treat it? So I would say over 75% of the doctors came to that conclusion where they would start or stop, or it would be where um, one doctor would disagree with another. Like that's what happened with the hospital. I mean, in the hospital, um, experienced my first NG tube, which was miserable um, and had a stricture, but yet it was all clear. It was all in my head. It was fine. As I'm hooked up to an NG, <laughs> sucking all kind of stuff out of me, but it's in my head. Yet on imaging, they saw that there were lesions. Mm -hmm. There was something there. Yeah. Did they ever come up with any other kind of potential diagnosis? Did anyone ever think that it could be a growth or, you know, I mean, how did they explain this to you? Um, The radiologists overread it. They were too sensitive to it. Um, Sometimes uh, they get too zealous with their reports or they're looking for something that's just not there. No one was ever able to give me a good reason as to why 
there would be inflammation or a stricture or thickening in different areas because really the only thing that causes stricturing and inflammation is IBD. Always went back to no explanation, just all in your head, you know, just that scan was just a fluke. So no one was ever able to say or give me an alternative for what that could be. The not knowing and having the doctors make me doubt myself was the approach that they took. And I understand that biologics are risky and they come with all type of potential um, side effects, but untreated IBD is worse than treatment with biologics, hands down. So I just, I wish, if I had the, the chance to go back and speak with those doctors, just so maybe the next person that presents a little bit differently, that maybe they, they don't show up on the first scope or they're having all these different issues, but maybe they are healthy weight and they're not, you know, malnourished. Maybe a doctor can take a, a second look and not just to fall into those stereotypes of, you know, she's 80 pounds. And, you know, and I think a lot of it with, with food and with weight is um, how a person's eating habits were before they got sick. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had food issues or if you are an emotional eater or, I mean, we're driven to eat because you need food to save a life, you know. So just because you get a disease like IBD doesn't mean that you're going to stop eating. Some people do. And I think that is more what is attributed to the extreme weight losses. Some people just don't want the pain and can't deal with the pain. And I mean, I've even gone through phases where I just can't and I just, I just won't eat. And then of course your, your weight just drops. But I almost felt like they were waiting for me to either have a more like serious um, structuring or a blockage that would cause I don't, I don't know how much more they needed to get the diagnosis. I think that's just, to me, the frustrating part. And I try to let that go, but it's really hard to, to let that go. And then I was later diagnosed with mast cell um, as a secondary response to the IBD. So that just complicated things because then they, they feed off of each other. So you get the IBD under control, but then the mast cell flares. And then it, it's just like a vicious cycle of back and forth, back and forth. So it just... Things just get more complicated the the longer I go on this journey now, you know, burning through the different medications and now um, dealing with the gastroparesis uh, diagnosis and, and trying to get the, um, again, another doctor to listen to me and take me seriously and get the proper testing that I need so we can figure out, you know, the Crohn seems like it's getting better controlled. Let's get a hold of the, the gastroparesis aspect of it. What did that feel like to finally have the doctor that listened to you and said, yes, this is Crohn's. Let's start you on treatment. It was like, I think it was like a catch-22 almost. I was thrilled that finally, I felt vindicated. Finally, I'm not crazy. It's not all in my head. I am actually sick. And now this person is going to actually help me. And that's exactly what they did. So it was wonderful to finally have that validation but at the same time it was really sad that not only I had Crohn's disease but that it took this long for me to be diagnosed because of the poor education in the general GI community if they don't and I I learned that the hard way If, if you have IBD see an IBD specialist see a doctor that they see IBD patients all day that's what they do you could still have Crohn's disease even if it doesn't necessarily look like 
your other five patients with Crohn's disease. Yeah, and, and I think too in, in, the, in the advocation or with advocates in the community, there's a, a wide variety of people. So you get to see it really is a spectrum disease. You have your people that are really, really super sick and you have your people that will be in remission for 20 years. And then, you know, they'll have very few flare-ups and some don't even require medication, which is crazy to me. Um, I found it really hard not to compare myself to other patients or to um, take away from what I was experiencing. Just because I wasn't 80 pounds and I wasn't going through all these difficult things that maybe another person that's a very, very severe disease has, it doesn't mean that I wasn't sick or in need of care as well or that I shouldn't... uh, have been a priority to my doctor. So I think giving yourself permission to, to, to deserve, you know, good care is important. Have you heard about NUCA? NUCA is the National Ulcerative Colitis Alliance, a new nonprofit group working to improve quality of life for people with ulcerative colitis. We're doing this through education, support, community connections, and empowerment. NUCA is different because it is created by and for people living with ulcerative colitis and designed to help you through all stages of your disease journey. NUCA is flaring soon. Subscribe to our newsletter today to get the latest information about NUCA and find out how you can be a part of the community. Go to nuca.life to find out more and sign up. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for NUCA Life. You were understanding that you probably had Crohn's disease. You were pretty sure you had Crohn's disease. And so did you go looking for other people that had Crohn's disease online? And then when you found people that did and what you saw there, how did that affect you? When I first heard Crohn's disease um, was an ER visit. I had a a partial, another partial bowel obstruction. Um, It was a different um, ER doctor. Um, I don't know if maybe she was filling in or a different shift, but you know, she, she told me, I really think that you have Crohn's disease. Um, normal people don't get partial bowel obstructions on a regular basis. I really think you need to, to find um, a good doctor. Um, so I was in the ER and I just kind of Googled um, Crohn's disease and um, Sarah's stuff came up. Um, so Sarah that, Ringer. Yeah. yeah. So that was the first, um, my first introduction to IBD and that scared the shit out of me. And I could not relate because of the severity of her disease. Um, that I was, af- was very afraid <laughs> just by hearing her story. And, and, and she um, had been formally diagnosed for years at this point and she was still struggling. So that scared me as well thinking, oh my God, this girl has been receiving treatment and she's still very ill. But there were a lot of differences between myself and Sarah. I didn't find um, any advocates initially that were like me. I didn't find any ones that were in their 30s that were married with kids. So I think I really struggled with that because I didn't feel like I could fit in or relate to the community. I think it's good to have a, a wide array of advocates that can kind of be a representative for each type of subgroup because you're going to have your your younger people and your older people and your people that are married with kids and, and different severities too. So I think that was the biggest thing is I needed to find more variety and it just wasn't there yet. Yeah. I think one of the biggest problems with that is that, and I always say this in regards to J pouches, that 
people go online and look for information about J pouch surgery before they have it, because of course that's what you would do. And what you're finding a lot of times is when things have gone wrong. Yes. Yes. But you're only finding when things have gone wrong because when it goes right, it's not a thing. Well, people are out living their life. They're living their yeah. lives. You'll go into the different groups and um, the ones that are you know dedicated to certain medications, Intivio, Humira, Stellara, and they'll go, uh, does anybody have success with these medications? And you have to go, yes, there are, but they're not in here. They're out living their lives. They don't need this type of support that we need because you're not doing well. But yeah, if you look at some of the files, there are people that have long-term um, success with these medications. So all you're seeing is the bad. You're not seeing the good and you very rarely see the in-between. It seems like most people want to share or advocate when they are at their worst sometimes because I think that's when you really need to, to get it out, to have, you know, to be able to to tell your story or to have other people to relate to. Right. But let me pull on this thread a little bit, though. If you are doing well, perhaps you don't feel as though you belong in the community with people who are still struggling. And then if you are very ill, are you looking to hear success stories? Or is that also frustrating to you because you're on the same medication or you were on the same medication and you didn't have the same response that this other person did? I think for me, the one thing that I really needed to adjust my thinking on was um, I failed a medication or I failed a biologic. And I would almost blame myself like it was my own fault. It's something I was doing wrong. And then I finally looked at it in a way of I didn't fail the medication. The medication failed me. It just wasn't, it, it just didn't work well enough for me. So when I would see the people that were really suffering, that were, you know, really, really experiencing uh, you know, more difficult time than I was, I almost felt guilty for complaining at all because how dare I complain when this person has been in the hospital for three weeks or they have an open incision now or just, it, it can be really hard to, um, to allow yourself to feel bad, you know, or to, to look for that. And then I think when you, you are doing, you are struggling and you want to hear success stories and you can't find them, that's really frustrating too. And you start really digging and looking, I guess, for those, those stories. And I think it, it would be a really great thing if people that are having success on these medications take the time to post every once in a while and, you know, say, I'm having, you know, a great time on this medication and the best I felt in years, I did this, I did that, and, you know, don't lose hope. I think it. I think that could be a big thing that we could all in the community try to focus on when something is working for us to have a, you know, show the positivity and not just the negative side of things. You find that inspirational when people are doing well. Absolutely. And not frustrating. Well, it can be a little bit of both because you have to. I look. At, I look at both. Um, Jamie's a really good example. We are both on the same medication. And seeing how well she is doing and seeing the improvements that she's having makes me very hopeful. It can be frustrating, but I, I would say it's almost more hopeful than anything because if it can work for, for her who has you know more uh, autoimmune issues than I do, then hopefully I will achieve the same uh, success. I think that uh, for me, a lot of what played into a step therapy, I got stuck doing medications that weren't going to work that my doctor knew weren't going to knew was not going to work 
um, it took almost a year uh, to finally get a, a medication approved. I had to fail another medication. So it takes two months to get something approved and then you have to do the, the 12 weeks of um, introduction and you have to do that one more. And then you have to go in for all your scans to show that it's not working. And then you put in for the new medication that takes another two months. Mm -hmm. So I, it, that was the most frustrating thing for me is, is knowing that there was a medication out there that could help me or a new trial and not being able to have access to that because my insurance company was dictating my, my care. There are a few advocates that I know that have worked out whatever with their treatment plan and they're doing well. And some of them have been doing well for a really, really long time. Do you think that those of us in the community that are journalists or that work with uh, patient advocacy groups, would it be helpful, particularly for new patients, if we spent more time focusing on success stories and following the patient journey that doesn't just go down and down and down, but has an upside to it as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially if to a new patient that is scared and confused and, and trying to figure out what they should do. And if all they see is not, you know, this didn't work and, you know, this medication failed me and I have this issue and that issue, that's going to scare them away. Um, that's going to make them very apprehensive and add to their frustration. So I think if if advocates did take um, make more of an effort to to report the positives, I think it would make a huge difference for a lot of people. I mean, it's, of course, it's going to cause some frustration, but I really think that the positivity would be would outweigh the the negative effects. Mm-hmm. Coming into the IBD community when you did, do you feel it was mostly hopeful, or do you feel as though it caused you to feel more hopeless about your situation. Uh, on the on the whole, what yeah. was your impression? I felt more um, hopeless about my situation in the beginning because I wasn't seeing positive stories. Um, I was just seeing the extreme side of the disease, not the the other side of the disease. I wasn't seeing people that were out living their lives or people that were able to go back to school or mm-hmm. go back to work or start a mm-hmm. family. I was seeing the other side of that. Yeah, and we got to know each other after, you know, experiencing a loss on, on my side due to the the disease basically ending this person's life. So they didn't necessarily die from the disease, the complications of the disease. And that's how Meredith and I got to know each other and the fact that we didn't live that far from each other and actually had a lot of similarities in our story. It took me a lot longer to get diagnosed and to even get treatment, but the end result was the same. We both suffered so much that it took a grave impact on our lives and just our ability to adult. And when I came onto, I would say the social media scene, it wasn't a positive environment as far as the advocacy experience um, out there, but we all were suffering in some way. So all of us who were out there in social media who had various forms of IBD were trying to connect with one another. And I feel like now that I'm doing better, like I'm sitting here listening to Meredith tell her story. And I'm like, yes, you know, it's, it's true. This is everything that's gone on in the last five years. It's grown. And you have a lot of people who started doing well that kind of dropped off the social landscape and aren't sharing their stories. And, and, and then they don't pop back on until yes. things are going badly again. Yes. So you don't, we're not seeing the positive side. We're only seeing, 
okay, this person's disappeared, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're having more difficulties. So they left out that whole, you know, three-month, six-month year that things were going really, really mm-hmm. well. And so, of course, you're just assuming, oh, they must just be really sick. Yeah. And that's why they're not posting. We don't know. Yeah. And so I, I almost feel like a social responsibility with as long as I'm still home and recuperating from all the years of damage that have occurred to my body from not having proper medical treatment for my various autoimmune diseases that I need to tell like all the people in these groups, yes, I was on this medication. No, I didn't last on it, but this is what it gave me back. And then I moved to this medication and this is what that med did for me. And you know what? This med didn't work out, but I still endorse it because I know so many people that it has helped. It didn't work for me. It wasn't a great experience, but I'm not the total sum. I'm just one person out of many. And there's plenty more who had a great benefit from it. So please, if your doctor wants you to try it, discuss it. If you think it's something worth exploring, go for it. And I wish there was more of those positive interactions out there. Every day in the different groups, I see people posting, hi, I'm about to start either med A, med B, or med C. I want to know what your experiences are. What happens with that is, you know, Oh, I, I had <laughs> I had the worst infection ever, and I almost died. Yeah, or, and, and you yes. never hear the good stuff. So you, right. I always make a point to chime in and go. Absolutely, I had great success mm-hmm. with this drug. It didn't last, but it saved me from surgery, and yes. that is huge. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I'm able to share my positive experience with that medication with a new patient, you know, try it. What do you have to lose? Give it yeah. six months. If you yep. don't see an improvement you know, fine, sit down and, and have an honest conversation with your doctor. Yeah. Um, but don't prematurely take away a, a chance at, at having a better quality of life because you're afraid of what might happen because you heard uh, one bad story. Pro tip, if you're on a Facebook group and you have a question, you can actually look up your subject matter without having to ask the question. And you just put in a little search bar once you're inside of that group. And you will populate a list of uh, responses and you can go through and not have to communicate with people. And you can see some of the things that have already been asked. And you can also look up the specific people who are continually replying in positive and reach out to those people or comment on the thread and ask them to to contact you. One of the things that I try to do, and I mean, it's exhausting. It's, this is not a job, but I feel responsibility because I want to share the good stories And I also want to share the realistic ones because this may not work out. Letting them know who they can look up and look for these stories. There's a gentleman who's on the same medication as me. He needs more medication than I'm on. He gets it in a higher dose and a quicker frequency, but it gave him his life back. He's back to running races. He's back to living his life. He's back to being fully there for his family and working. That's a success story. But it also shows that when he started, it wasn't going his way. It wasn't going to plan. And he and his doctor sat there and tried to figure out a way to bring him back from the bad place into a decent place. And it just so happened it brought him back into a really good place. I think, too, people sometimes don't want to um, talk to their doctor about their medication. For some reason, they, they, they feel like they don't have a right to be an active participant in their treatment. And that's so wrong. If you can't sit down and have an honest conversation with your doctor and voice your concerns or say, you know, I would like to consider doing this. You know, what are your thoughts on that? If you can't do that with your doctor, it's time to find a new doctor because you're not going to get anywhere or or be successful on any medications if you can't 
have an open dialogue and you have to be, you have to um, be an active participant in your own care. Cause if you're not, then you're not going to see as much of an improvement. I don't think. Yeah. It has to be a partnership mm-hmm. all the way. So I feel like we've really taken a pretty deep dive into the dark side of IBD and social media. And now I, I want to think about and talk about how do we find the patients that are doing well and how do we get them to engage so that new patients and patients not doing as well can continue to find hope? I think that's the million-dollar question. Right? Yeah. I mean, when people are doing well, they're out living their best life, and that's awesome. And, you know, I've, I've found myself being so busy with the wedding and moving in the house. I'm not doing as much advocacy social media on certain platforms, and I feel very absent. And or the it, guilt. You, you, there's so much you, guilt She expresses a lot of guilt because we're on the same medication. <laughs> and she'll go, and I'll, I'll be, she'll, how, she'll send me a text, how are you doing today? I'm just rough day or whatever. And she's, she's always like, I'm sorry. And, and she tells me how guilty she feels. But I always tell her, don't feel guilty. You know, you're, there's going to be times when, you know, you may be in my shoes and I may be in your shoes. So I think a lot of it is the guilt, too, that keeps people from mm-hmm. from stepping forward and going, I'm doing really well because these 15 people aren't doing well. So I think you have to get over that feeling of guilt. And it's okay to be feeling okay. It's okay um, to be able to run errands. It's okay to be able to go have dinner with your friends and, and not have to worry about where the nearest bathroom is. And that's okay. I feel like in the end, a lot of the frustration that we're we've all experienced in different ways with getting a diagnosis with social media, with trying to understand where we fit in the patient journey and yeah. in the patient community goes back to education mm-hmm. and educating patients, which, of course, I've been trying to do for forever, it feels and like. And, and don't be afraid to question your doctor. You yes. Know, do research. I think ask, that's part of you know? the education is... You can question. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And you deserve answers. We all do. Most of us have had physicians that have told us, by the end of this, you're probably going to know more about your disease than I do. Yeah. Um, so that also does does happen. So it should be a partnership and it should go both ways. It sounds like we can all do a better job of educating patients in various ways and then as patients, we need to do a better job of educating our physicians. At least with the dark side of social media, there's also the light side of social media. Yes. A lot of us have met, three of us in this room, because we've connected as patients online. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have that years ago. So now we have it. And I'm grateful to you both for sharing your stories and for sharing ideas with everybody, but also in particular with me, because I feel as though I could actually do something about this, about sharing more positive stories. And I try, you know, I try to on my podcast. I've had several patients come on who do have very hopeful stories that they're doing well, and they're able to share that 
the dark times don't last forever. And I think it's really important, too, that well-established advocates Mm -hmm. open the door for new advocates to come in as well. Right. um, To help uh, them get involved, you know, um, just like Jamie has done with me, has, you know, kind of helped me open the door because I want to be more help. I want to help my community. Um, So I think it's really important that if you're going to advocate that you you help that next advocate that's Mm -hmm. trying to, to get into it as well. Maybe they can't do it to the extent that, you know, some other people can, but I think the more people that we have advocating um, for IBD, the better. So I think it's really important that we, um, you know, nurture those relationships to get more advocates to that can fit the spectrum of patients that we do have where someone can go and say, I relate to this person or I relate to that Mm -hmm. person, no matter how small or how large that person's audience may be. As long as you can reach a couple of people, I think that's really what's most important. Right. We need an unofficial mentorship program. As I've gone through this cycle of learning and sharing and meeting other people, that's how basically Meredith found me. We happened to um, be living in the same area. This is when I was actually going to go see your your GI. Yeah. And I was set up for an infusion center. Uh, So, of course, I went to the group and I posted I toured the infusion center today. I just really don't, I don't like the center. I and don't, I think I said the same yeah. thing. I hated it I'm there. Like, I, don't, I don't get a good <laughs> feeling. I said the nurses didn't want to show me around. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't feel comfortable. And I just happened to name the the center. And Jamie messaged me immediately. And she's like, um, here is, you know, take it for what it's worth. Here's the experience that I had at this um, infusion center. And hearing her story and hearing um, what she experienced <laughs> – pretty much gave me the um, the courage and the strength to call my doctor and go, I think we need to find a different option for my infusions. Um, I'm just not comfortable and I want to be comfortable, um, you know, getting them. That's, that's basically how we met is mm-hmm. she reached out to me and said, no, you're not imagining things. You know, this is this was my experience with this particular place. And it, it grew from there, mm-hmm. you know. So we need to continue to inspire each other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and be willing to accept help and not be afraid to ask for help like mm-hmm. I think a lot of people especially um when you have kids you feel like you have to do everything you have to be superwoman you have to get the kids to school and make dinners and get lunches and you know there is nothing more um defeating uh than being too sick to drive your child to school but to it's also stop. okay to ask for help exactly it's okay to ask for help and I've you know I've gotten to the point it's taken me a long time to to be able to pick up my phone and text Jamie and go I'm just I'm really not feeling well. I need to take um, nausea medicine. Could you take me to, to Landon's bus stop? We live 15 houses yeah. away from each yeah. other now, by <laughs> we're, the way. We're like neighbors now. <laughs> but through her, she's actually, um, I'm learning to ask for help and to accept help. And then also to um, pay it forward to the next person. You know, yeah. when someone PMs me and asks me questions or, you know, I always try to um, get back to them. I may not be able to do it as quickly as I want to. But I always try to make that effort because um, she took that effort with me. So I think it's really important that we, as patients, support each other. And, you know, I think it's important to, um, you know, pay it forward with the next next patient, you know, because you can really change um, the the course of that person's treatment and how they see their disease and how they seek the help that they need. Variety is the spice of life. (laughs) (laughs) You may have just named the episode. I'm a writer. I write things. I write things. 
and say things sometimes. Yes. Well, that's that's a hopeful place to end it. Yay. Which we always have to end it on a hopeful, hopeful note here on my podcast. At least we try to. Thank you both for taking the time to sit with me at this edition of about IBD after dark. <laughs> Whiskey is delicious. The, the whiskey, which has only succeeded in making my whiskey voice whiskier. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Meredith. Thank you. Yep, thank you. Hey, super listener. I'm walking away from this episode with a renewed interest in telling positive stories about people with IBD. I'm going to try to do a better job of that in the future. And I encourage you to do the same. If you have a positive story about your IBD, absolutely get in touch. You can find me everywhere on all social media as About IBD. And you can always email me at amber at aboutibd.com or go to aboutibd.com and click on contact, fill out the little form, I promise you, it goes right to me. Special thank you to Jamie and Meredith for sitting down with me in a hotel without a bar in Pennsylvania. And I'm so glad to call both of them friends. Thank you also to you. Until next time, remember, I want you to know more about IBD.